feature presentation. Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside. He's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved. Eric Marchin. Matt, you ready to take a trip to Asteroid City? Oh, baby, am I? Yes. Today, we are reviewing Wes Anderson's Asteroid City, which will be released in limited release uh, Friday, June the 16th. Uh, So, we don't know the exact theaters, but it's probably playing Varsity in Toronto, I'm guessing, right now. Um, and then it'll be in wide release the following Friday, which would be June the 20-something. I'm bad with math. It's 24th? Uh, tw- 24th. I think you're right, Eric. Thank you. No, 23rd. There 23rd. We go. Now we're good. <laughs> we're good. So on 23rd, it'll be in a wider release around the US and Canada. So um, as this is out right now, it's in limited release. Might not be in your area. Uh, so we're going to do things uh, quick, spoiler-free kind of um, thoughts on Asteroid City, uh, and then we'll move into a spoiler territory later where you, if you've seen the movie, you can stick around. Uh, if you have to wait for it in your city, uh, you can come back and listen to the rest after. Um, Eric, how are you today? I'm good, Matt. I'm good. We've been recording quite a bit, so you know we, we've gotten a little bit of a flow going on, and it's exciting to... Uh, talk about another movie that I think both of us are quite enthusiastic about, and especially when it comes to uh, the symmetry of one Wes Anderson, you can always expect certain elements to be uh, presented in his narratives. And visually speaking, um, it's sumptuous to look at the creamy kind of pastel kind of teal colors coming together in that very 1950s aesthetic in a uh, American uh, desert landscape, uh, beautifully brought to life in a way that kind of feels both artificial, but still otherworldly. You know, a lot of films like this only get made by people like Wes Anderson that have, you know, the resources, but also the creative mindset in order to kind of bring their vision to the big screen. And if you're a Wes Anderson fan, I think you will get quite a bit out of it because it does feel like every Wes Anderson movie, and we've talked about this before, where, you know, post-Fantastic Mr. Fox has become a cartoon. And I think with the Grand Budapest Hotel you have an element of the the layers upon layers or the inverse of a Wes Anderson story coming together. And so with this, it kind of feels like you're even going deeper into the rabbit hole or the recesses of Anderson's mind with a movie, you know, a movie that we're watching, but the movie is a play within the world of this story, but the play is also being acted out. So you're, you're seeing these different levels of the story kind of being interpreted and reworked and playing in different sort of styles based on the characters in which they're kind of presented. And so, you know, you have multiple people, you know, multiple characters or a person in multiple roles. And I think that's fascinating to, to kind of observe. It's, it's, it's actually weirdly more Christopher Nolan than I was expecting. And considering Oppenheimer's coming out, there's also a reference and a visual reference to an atomic bomb blowing up in, in the distance in one moment. So. Which I'm sure Wes Anderson blew up an actual, you know, uh, bomb just like Nolan did for yeah. Oppenheimer. Yeah. I mean, something, here's the thing. If you're not a Wes Anderson fan, is this movie going to win you over? 
No. Um, if you are a fan of him, will you enjoy this? Probably yes. And that's the simplest like criticism in every, I think, Wes Anderson movie. I mean, to a certain extent, I think both of us, French Dispatch being kind of more of an anthology film, like certain segments worked better than others, but as a whole, it didn't really, I think, work for either of us. Uh, but thankfully, this is going back to kind of the uh, style of Wes Anderson film that I've, and again, I, it took me a while to be a, a Wes Anderson fan. Like I, you know, his early stuff, um, never really clicked with me. Like, uh, to varying degrees, I've enjoyed some of his earlier stuff. Um, I've now wanted to go back and rewatch a lot of it now that I actually become one of my favorite filmmakers. And for me, it was fantastic. Mr. Fox as that turning point when he just fully embraced, the kind of both literary and and cartoonish nature of his films and just kind of went you know what this is what i love this this these are the movies that i want to make and you see a lot of elements of them in his earlier stuff i went back and watched a bit of royal tenenbaums um a couple days ago and you know it starts as you know the library book being checked out you know things that we've seen whether it's a movie taking place within a book or a character's written a book about them or or this is a play within a movie that we see and things like that all those kind of framing devices framing devices that he's used in his films but then when it comes to the cartoonish symmetrical nature of his films you can see in that earlier stuff even tenenbaums there's there's elements of those but it's not to the extent as we've seen post fantastic mr fox where every frame feels like it's either uh you know uh, every frame a, a painting kind of thing where it's symmetrical with pastel colors and it is a live action cartoon and i think there's even a couple references in this that is him blatantly going yes i make live action cartoons which is like this is like, my life now <laughs> yeah like r rated live action cartoons and I mean R-rated, not that they're like really crass or violent or anything like that, but they're very silly and playful, but have adult themes in them and tackle maybe not the deepest of things at times. Like, you know, some of the you know stuff is maybe a little bit surface level, but his movies are so enjoyable that, um, you know, and, and usually when people use the amount of actors as he does, it can become kind of stunt casting, which it very much is, but like, and it can become distracting, but that's also a part of a Wes Anderson movie that you come to expect now and you want, it doesn't become distracting when there's a certain actor in one shot of the film, it becomes kind of a meta joke or, or things like that, or it's just a really great performance from an actor who's only in one scene and stuff like that. And it's like the best possible way of, of a filmmaker making a movie in his backyard with his friends. But like, it's just, for some reason, he just fully has embraced this cartoonish, playful, um, adult nature of all of these things. And I, I, everything since Fox, except for maybe Moonrise Kingdom, which I didn't love on first watch. But again, I've wanted to go back because I still think it's very much uh, similar to a lot of his later stuff that, um, yeah, I, I absolutely loved this. I, I think, uh, again, it's not going to win over anyone. Like I think at this point, he's just one of those filmmakers you either love or not necessarily hate. You just might get his style just might be exhausting to you or you just might not vibe with it. And I think that is totally fair as well. Like the kind of twee kind of everything, like all of these things I'm saying that are a positive, you might just kind of roll your eyes at. And, and I feel like that's just a, 
subjective personal preference, but if it does vibe with you, I think it will really vibe with you. And even seeing him use um, some actors like Tom Hanks, which he's never worked with, uh, uh, with before in here is actually kind of really fun. Margot Robbie, um, Matt Dillon, know, Matt Dillon. There are co- obviously a ton of people he's uh, worked with numerous times. Um, but seeing a couple of those new people, uh, play in West, that Wes Anderson kind of world is a lot of fun as well. So I don't think the movies maybe super deep or, or, or anything like that, but I don't care. Uh, like, it's just like, I, <laughs> I, I, it's like, it's just fun to watch. Like, again, it is like a live action Saturday morning cartoon in a much different way than I compared fast X to a live action Saturday morning cartoon. It's just that Looney Tunes, kind of uh, you know uh, vibe but like still has a commentary even though again it's maybe surface level but just seeing these actors kind of play dress up and and the production design and the cinematography and all of these movies i think is really what kind of obviously stands out and i just like the aesthetic of his movies like you know i love chapter-based storytelling you know i love framing devices like that like um and in this We'll get into more of that stuff you talked about, Eric, with that kind of meta layering of the play within a movie, within real life kind of thing. Like um, once we get into spoiler territory, but like I, I loved that framing device and how, you know, the play is depicted as a movie in our eyes. Um, and then the real life is depicted almost like a play in our eyes, like in the setup way. And like it or how we're viewing it from the audience's perspective. So I thought all of that stuff was really kind of visually interesting. And then, um, but I do see the other side of it of people who don't like his style, just thinking it's tedious and the chapter uh, based storytelling, but then because it's a play, the act based uh, chapter titles and stuff like that. Like every time one of those popped up, I, I love it, but like I could see someone going, Jesus fucking Christ. Okay. I get it. Let's, let's, let's move on. Uh, so anyways, I, I think, long story short um i i really vibe with modern wes anderson and maybe i don't love this as much as something like uh, grand budapest hotel but i i still had a lot of fun with it okay uh you want to jump into spoilers then let's do that let's do it matt okay so if you haven't seen asteroid city yet um please you know pause this and and come back after you've seen it because it's definitely uh worth watching and getting your first reaction to not that there's like a ton of spoilery stuff but there are some things visually and 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 stuff that i want to talk about that i think uh we're we're surprising to me at least uh when i watched (laughs) it uh so uh we're gonna start spoilers in three two one I think we got to start with the alien, right? Yes, <laughs> definitely. It that makes moment, a deep impact. That moment is so, so great. So now that if you're here, I hope you've seen the film. But, um, you know, the movie takes place in, is it in Nevada or in the desert? In the yeah, US? in Nevada like, in the 1950s. Yeah. And it's kind of, I think it was actually shot in Spain, which is very funny. But like, I think one of the, my favorite parts of this, and I don't mean to sound like too much of a North American, but I kind of like that he's back in the Americana uh, yeah. context of things. And I think that was kind of missing in some of his more recent movies, even though I love Budapest hotel and, and, you know, like Isle of dogs and things like that. But there is something about him taking the American way of life and warping it into his own vision. I think that really stands out. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so there's, 
halfway through the movie or not even halfway i think maybe in the first end of the first act or it's very or shocking when it like happens <laughs> yeah so basically uh you know the the junior stargazers are out in the desert they're at this uh you know camp slash motel complex and like um they're doing a ceremony um about this asteroid that that landed in in this town um i mean aptly named asteroid city but like um an alien ship comes down and you're like, okay, this is funny where this is going to go. And in the opening credits, you see, and Jeff Goldblum as the alien. So you kind of assume at one point you're going to see the alien, but I assume it's just going to look like Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to look like Jeff Goldblum from earth girls are easy when he played an alien bird man in that. Yeah. Like I, I really just thought it was going to be, you know, him and Thor or something too. Right. Like just this kind of version of Jeff Goldblum. Um, but in perfect Wes Anderson style, you get this very strange, but funny looking stop motion animated alien come down, um, that pops down, grabs the asteroid, looks at them i love the pose for the camera and then goes back (laughs) up and leaves he's so accommodating it's perfect it's absolutely perfect it's something we should have expected um but i was not expecting at all um which is i just think one of the most surprising and funny moments in the entire film like i just thought it worked perfectly and is that perfect I keep saying perfect is, is that great kind of blend of animation and live action that he's so great at. Like even with his live action characters, it feels like an animated movie at times or a cartoon. Um, the Roadrunner killed me throughout the whole thing too. Uh, I mean, it, even the mountains looking like the Wiley e. coyote versus Roadrunner, like desert, right? Like it, it, it's very much of him winking at the camera of going, I, I get it. Yes. It's a cartoon. Um, but not in an annoying way for me personally. Like I think it it's funny. Like I like the little stop or the little animated Roadrunner throughout the whole thing, dancing and going meep meep. Um, <laughs> uh, but the alien is so it's just so perfect. And is that perfectly? Again, I keep saying perfect, but Wes Anderson with all the symmetry and and thought put into every frame. I think it's it, it was so wonderfully done. It was it was really really funny. Yeah, it's. I think it works perfectly because there is an element of that story or the story that we're, we're watching that I think Anderson in his films has never tackled before, which is the cosmic element of, you know, the world beyond our own. And so seeing his interpretation of alien life in a stop motion animation context and construction, it gives you a, an otherworldly quality to it that I think really works within the sci-fi confounds. Like even the ship, the way that the ship is kind of almost like a glass chandelier, you know, it, it has kind of um, uh, a miniature kind of style to it. And even, you know, you mentioned the 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 kind of the Rocky Mountains. It, it almost looks like matte paintings at, at times where like everything is drawn in the distance and created as a backdrop. Um, so it, it adds this really fascinating uh, artifice to the play within a story. And I think that that really is so much fun to kind of watch him delve further into both the live action and animated, as you mentioned, but also dealing with the emotions that he's normally kind of especially with loss when it comes to somebody grieving and how do you deal with that and it being almost deadpan in its delivery or stilted in, 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 in the style. Um, 
this movie also kind of falls into one of my favorite subgenres, which is being stuck in a small town and having a hard time getting out of it. And yeah. it kind of feels like that's part of, you know, with the alien coming down that, you know, maybe this is him sort of referencing or, or, or creating a metaphor to COVID or what we've been through where the characters are quarantining and, and sequestering to this small community for a longer period of time than they should be there and kind of just being stuck in a, in a place that's basically just a, a, a way station. You know, it's, it's a place where people just roll into town, maybe have a pit stop and then keep going, but to kind of live there and just be kind of stuck in this milieu for so long and having, you know, these really smart children um, or, or adolescents kind of, you know, um, conversing and trying to figure out a way to get out of it. And then the adults kind of dealing with their own baggage. You have people like Jason Schwartzman, who's a war photographer, who's very much modeled after a young Stanley Kubrick. You have Scarlett Johansson's actor, who looks almost like a spitting image of Elizabeth Taylor. Um, and she even talks about, you know, one of her characters uh, or, 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 or pardon me uh one of the kids mentions cleopatra and you know elizabeth taylor won the oscar uh for playing cleopatra so it's it's just interesting those little kind of references to those things or even you know uh bad day at at black rock being a, an aesthetic reference the spencer tracy movie of being stuck in uh you know western town and trying to get out of it and and not really knowing where where the next day will lead you other than that you're just kind of caught in kind of like a limbo and and i think like that's fascinating into itself and how it draws other people in like you have you know the tom hanks character who's the father-in-law to jason schwartzman and you know we only see him first in that first act on the phone and they're talking back and forth to each other and it's an amazing conversation because it's the most honest thing you've ever heard but at the same time it's delivered in that kind of wes anderson dialogue and, and dialect and then Hanks's character doesn't come in till a little bit later and um the character work here I think there's more friend. <laughs> oh my god Rupert Fend in the Canadian tuxedo who you know yeah. plays in this kind of country style band but then also like anytime Maya Hawk is teaching the children about maybe you know what they saw with the alien or just giving them lessons and he comes with well children I gotta <laughs> tell you about this it's incredible and it's so charming it's very funny um I think I laughed more with this movie than most comedies in the last couple of years and it yeah it just feels like the French Dispatch was a bit of a minor effort but coming back to this like it's so rich in its production design um i really loved uh, edward norton as the the folksy yeah. playwright who like you know he he talks about uh uh ice cream being cool and talks delicious like talks like this <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it kind of has that foghorn leghorn yeah. yeah. kind of quality to it so again going to the looney tunes aspect of it all um or you know again you get people like jeff goldblum or willem dafoe as like an acting teacher coming in and talking to the cast about it and some people are more inclined i think to act as though they're behaving like a Wes Anderson character. And then there are other actors that are still funny and work within the context of a Wes Anderson film, but aren't necessarily pandering to Wes Anderson's aesthetic. I think someone like Matt Dillon as the local mechanic is so deadpan, but he's not necessarily doing it in that kind of quirky kind of way. He's just kind of like very matter of fact, but it's still very funny. Um, and, And I think the one scene with Margot Robbie 
is very emotional, but yeah. also just poignant in in how you know art and life kind of you know intermixes, but also at the same time it kind of you can go on different paths and it's just interesting getting insights from you know the the the, the conversation that Jason Schwartzman has as the actor playing the role of the war correspondent with Margot Robbie who was originally part of the cast but her scenes were cut out and they only use a picture of her but now she's in a production of what looks like a, a Mary Queen of Scots story Across which was also the street right? yeah which is also very funny because she was in you know the the mary queen of scots film with sir sharon not too long ago and sir sharon is also uh, a regular of wes anderson stuff as of late with um grand budapest hotel and uh, french dispatch so um you know there's 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 just so much going on and even just the 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 aspect ratios and you know, um, I'm the, a fucking nerd for that stuff. And that's the what color I, like, grading. Yeah. Brian Cranston, I think Brian yeah. Cranston in both Isle of Dogs and in, in this is fantastic. I think like I, I'm, I was never a big Breaking Bad fan and I kind of felt like maybe he was a little bit overused and, and overhyped a little bit. But I liked him in Drive and, and I liked him in Malcolm in the Middle. But watching how Anderson uses him in these two films, Isle of Dogs and and, and this there's a sense of humor and a playfulness and, and that twee is kind of met with like a, a, a charm that I think has been missing in some of his films and he gets the best use out of Cranston. I, I just totally love the agree. idea of like when the, the story of the, the narrator blends into the production itself and it's like, Oh, am I even in this I'm scene? Not in this scene? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's what I'll focus on. Cause you nailed all the thematic stuff and, and production design and all that stuff. So I don't need to repeat anything. Cause I think you, you absolutely nailed that, but you know, me for being a nerd of, of thematically using aspect ratios and those framing devices. And like, we can focus a little bit on that because like, I, I sort of mentioned it earlier in the spoiler free section. I just, I, I kind of loved that approach of every time you would go into the play as it was being performed for the audience, it would switch to that two, three, nine aspect ratio and be very cinematic looking, right? Like it's got that classic cinematic Wes Anderson look with that color, like that not washed out, but that kind of pastel -y kind of color grading and, and pop of color and, and symmetrical, uh, you know, I mean the whole thing's symmetrical, but every, that every frame is meticulously planned and, and blocked and everything like that. And then you kind of pan out and see the real world of where the actors are, are, uh, you know, living their real lives in, in quotes. And that looks sort of like a play it's framed in four by three. It's in, in black and white. Um, every thing there doesn't have a, a huge production value. It looks like you're watching someone performing it on a stage, even with the audio that they use and like, uh, the lighting and, um, and the minimalist kind of sets that, that are used. It, so it's this weird kind of reverse of like, okay, the real life looks like a stage play and is performed like a stage play, but then the actual stage play is performed to us like a, like a film. Um, and that to me was uh, super interesting. And at any time that transition between the play and, and the real world and having Brian Cranston come in and deliver exposition and, and the narration and, and stuff like that. Like I think just worked so, so beautifully. And, and um, yeah, he, he's just a master of that. I mean, the way that he uses aspect ratios in grand Budapest hotel. And I think switching aspect ratios can be done just as a, you know, 
just to be different or just to kind of do something, you know, it's being not overused. I think Trey Edward Schultz uh, uses it super, super well in his movies and they always feel like they have a thematic reason, whether it wants to make you feel claustrophobic or open up a frame. And like, I think that's like, you know, it's being done a lot, but I don't think the actual, what Wes Anderson is super, super, super good at is using filmmaking as a thematic, you know, device in his movies, which I don't think we see it. I guess maybe if you, you know, people who really give a shit, any movie can be viewed that way in the filmmaking and of having a deeper meaning than just setting up a shot for practical reasons. Right. But I think Wes Anderson, whether it's in the editing or in the blocking of a, a scene or in the, you know, any, element of the actual filmmaking there's something thematically being told there too and i think that and he does that so well and he's done that so well since i mean his whole career but again i think fantastic mr fox was that turning point for me where he he went final form of wes anderson right <laughs> like you know well like, he's more controlled like, than i think yeah. he was when you when you watch when you go back and watch bottle rocket and rushmore and royal tenenbaums um even Life Aquatic, which which starts to incorporate the animation of of, of Henry Silk, it's like, yeah. but there was there it was maybe a little bit more looser, or there was a little bit more room for the actors to kind of you know play within the lines that he's created. Where this feels like we've gotten to that point now where everything is so controlled and 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 drawn out to a point where the element of, of surprise is kind of lost because there is the expectation of, okay, well, when you see a Wes Anderson movie, you're going to get these certain things in play thematically and aesthetically speaking. And when you're watching this, you're, you're thinking, okay, well, what is this going to do that, that, that he hasn't done previously? Or is this just going to be something that connects with me because you're either going to like it or you're not. And I think even if you're a Wes Anderson fan, like you can be in a mood where maybe you're not, wanting to watch Wes Anderson movie and you could still like it if you rewatch it and just be in the right mindset for it. So when you're, when you're looking at something like this, I could see someone being like, Oh, I didn't really care for it, but then revisiting it later on and being like, Oh no, this really was something special. And I, and again, like, I think there are some subtle performances and and gestures in in what Johansson's doing and what Tom Hanks is doing and and Schwartzman and, having a good couple weeks too. Yeah, and and I think like you look at him like he's next to to Bill Murray and and Owen Wilson and you know people like that. He's he's one of those long-term collaborators and and you can see the evolution of of his career, you know, being part of Anderson's kind of, you know, quartet of, of or, or, or a marquee of filmmakers or uh, actors, you know, and, and, you know, working with these people again and again, even if it is just a smaller role or a role that kind of feels maybe more like a punchline, like Jeff Goldblum does a little bit in this, it's, it, it's telling that the actors really enjoy working with Anderson as a creative. And, you know, that he is one of those guys that, over the last few years, he seems to have become more prolific. I think like after Isle of Dogs, even like with, with Dispatch, Asteroid City, he already has another movie that he shot for Netflix. That's based on a, a world doll film, right? Well, it's, it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid. So it's using 16 millimeter film. Um, and then he's working on another one apparently right now with Michael Sarah. So like he's, he's kind of gotten into this strange groove now where he's making movies, every it seems like every couple of years where before that it was taking a little bit longer and so maybe 
that will end up being like a Star Wars thing where we talk about where maybe like the the novelty will wear yeah. off. But as of now, it's always nice to kind of jump back into, you know, the worlds he makes because there's nothing really like that exactly outside of it. it. And yeah. that's why I'm not sick of it. It's just like even a minor work from Wes Anderson will be completely no one's trying to mimic his style really well, other right? than like, AIs which I th- which which I think okay this is this is this is the thing I really do want to say yeah. if you're a film reviewer and you're reviewing or talking about a Wes Anderson movie please for the love of Pete do not say that even if you don't like it that's fine don't say that this is just basically an AI you know derivative version it's not it, it, like you watch this movie and then you and then see, see the a, the AI, AI trailers there's they're they're not even close to comparison. No, the I'm AI sorry. looks like it's, a robot who's trying to make. Yeah, a, it's a lazy mess. film criticism. So who whoever does that and says that, go back to square one. Sorry, <laughs> I'm bo- I'm bothered by I that. I haven't I, seen. I haven't. Seen I have. But I have. And I, it's I feel bothersome. like that's even lazy because you just saw a couple AI Wes Anderson movies and you feel like all of his movies are cookie cutter. Even yeah. using the term cookie cutter is better than an AI version. Of, yeah. Because like you can make the argument that yeah, a lot of his movies. Yeah. But any, they're repetitive and and, and any they have auteur, that redundancy. Sorry, that word that we want to use. Like yeah. any auteur has those things where all of their movies, you know feel similar and sure that some feel more similar every movie than other filmmakers, but like they all have their touchstones and the things that they like talking about and the aesthetic choices that they like using. Yeah. For Anderson. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's a formula that works for him and he's following that a little bit more and more each movie. But I feel like because no one else is making the types of movies he is, I buy fully into it where I'm like, at least I know, even if I don't love it, like with French dispatch, I'm getting a Wes Anderson movie through and through. And whether that's once a year, once every couple years or once every five years, I'm open to that. Even if yes, you know, it's going to have symmetrical blocking and framing, you know, it's going to feature these actors, you know, the dialogue is going to be deadpan and stilted, but uh, have that certain, uh, you know, comedic sense. And that's either, again, going back to comedies, the most subjective thing. Um, I just, I don't know. I think, to me, that becomes more of a positive than a negative. But again, that goes back to the subjective, just your viewpoint on someone. So I feel like it's easy to say like all of his movies feel the same or are the same. And I'm like, yeah, but then that's kind of why you either like them or dislike them. So, I mean, I guess both sides of it, I kind of, you know, I don't know what the hell. I'm yeah. I saying, just think that comparing it, it to, to like the AI saying, like, thing is just because you saw a couple AI. Yeah. Things it's online. lazy. It's lazy criticism. I just think those AI things is like, yes, maybe he's the easiest filmmaker to do one of those about because he definitely has the most, uh, like I like the other posts that being like name, name literally any other filmmaker, <laughs> like all these people online. Yeah. Like, and and like they name could, and someone they, else. And, and they, it's just they like, I could replicate what that is. So. But to, for Wes Anderson, I think he's in that very small crew of people that even if you don't watch his movies, you know what one of his movies looks like and you kind of know his name, right? Like right. for a guy that's, not making blockbuster cinema like that's very sort of rare if you if i asked my parents who wes anderson was i feel like they go 
oh, I think I know that name and would kind of maybe be able to describe his types of movies. And, and I don't know. And I think that's kind of a, like good for him. He's able to have a style that is unique that people recognize. All the Andersons, like, Paul Thomas um, Anderson, yeah, w. Paul W.S. <laughs> Anderson. <laughs> they all are auteurs in their own way. <laughs> Just yes. three very different auteurs. Um, so anyways, like, uh, yeah. And then I thought it was a blast. I really, every time that little Roadrunner popped up, I'm like, this is funny. Every, the alien bit is hilarious. Again, while I don't necessarily think the emotional core of the movie, like there are some, like you mentioned, the Margot Robbie sequence that really works. Jason Schwartzman's conversations with Scarlett Johansson through the windows, um, I, I think do work at times. Um, I do think in a lot of his movies, like, the emotional beats feel a little like his movies do feel artificial. Right. But then I think that's intended. So I, I, I'm not upset that some of the, you know, emotional stuff in the movies feels a little surface level, but I'm like, okay, I'm fine with it. Like, I still think it works. It's just, maybe there's not a lot of, it's not super deep and I'm okay with that. Um, but I agree with you. Some of the, uh, the newer cast members, I think really worked. Who else do I want to point out? That was really great that we haven't talked about. Oh, we got to mention um, that um, the, the casting of Jake Ryan, who plays Jason Schwartzman's son is perfect. Like he looks like a mini version of Jason Schwartzman. And a lot of people will recognize him from eighth grade. Um, okay. He's, okay. he's the love interest that has all the uh, packets of uh, nugget sauce. Really? Okay. That's great. I didn't, I didn't clue in, uh, but seeing Tony Revioli um, uh, show up and, and, you know, Hong Chow in a, in a quick brief moment um, is great. Jeremy um, Wright again, Jeffrey yeah, Wright, pardon me. Jeffrey Wright is great. Um, uh, so yeah, I, 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 there's so many, the Rupert friend, the musical sequence I think is, <laughs> is really well, let me good. tell you something. <laughs> Um, so it's just that kind of stuff, which I understand doesn't work for everyone, but, um, I will continue to support this guy, uh, in anything he does for, you know, and I'm not going to love everything again. Didn't love French dispatch, didn't love moonrise kingdom, which is one that I think universally people really, really love. Uh, and I don't think I mentioned this in the spoiler free section. Grand Budapest Hotel, I, I absolutely love. Uh, I don't think this is quite on that level, but I still had a had a blast with it and had a really really good time. So yeah, and and, and going back to the emotional thing, I I do think there are elements that are very sincere and like you know the loss of somebody and the impact that that has. Like I think just showing the chair that Edward Norton's character worked in and just yeah. it being absent, I think like that is actually very powerful and Fair. very subtle in what it's doing, but it doesn't feel artificial because it's like, well, once you lose the person who created the thing to begin with, maybe that part of the story is over, you know, and like that loss you, you can't recover from. And like, it's, it's a very, it's a very small thing. And it's like, again, it's, it's just a chair, but it's a chair that had meaning to the person who sat in it for hours on end writing and rewriting and, you know, contemplating their whole existence while writing it. And those kind of aspects, I really do feel mean something. And then there's also, you know, mentioning more references, the, the song that's in Mars attacks that blows up all the aliens brains. Uh, yeah, Slim Whitman's uh, yeah. Indian love call is the name of the song from 1952 uh, is in this movie. Now it's not, it doesn't play a pivotal role like it does in Mars attacks, but you know, when you hear it, you will notice that song. Like it's, it's so distinct because of that yodel, that folksy, yeah. 
yodel. So it has to be intentional that they are referencing that or, or the period in which kind of sci-fi and, and, and uh, alien invasion stuff was kind of taking America by storm because this was a point where UFOs and, and, and Mars attacks and aliens attacking were kind of, you know, big with the area 51 and stuff like that. And even setting it in that desert like landscape kind of, pays tribute to that stuff. So there's a lot going on here that I think you could get even more out of a second or third watch, just focusing in on like one of the framing devices and following that along or focusing in on the production design specifically, or just one of the actors, especially if there's one actor or someone like you see in multiple versions, because you're seeing the actor playing the part, but then you're seeing just the actor but then you're also realizing, well, the actor is playing an actor who's who is an actor. Yeah. So, so that kind of like again that weird like inverse Christopher Nolan kind of layer thing. Like it, you know, if you're a Nolan fan, I wouldn't be surprised if you you want to give this a chance because it does have that kind of same weirdness. It's just it's not as cerebral. It's more as you mentioned, twee than than it is sure. um, that way. But it still has that artificial quality. And again, Nolan's a guy that's very much similar with that kind of. Uh, austere uh austere filmmaker type that has a very distinct style and i think anybody that does can be polarizing it's just you know you either like their work or you don't you know we've talked about boz lerman we're not fans of his but we understand but i'll take those types of filmmakers over middle of the road kind of you know nothing movies right love them or hate them stuff i think is more interesting um him or her they you know but like yeah um Love M, I meant E-M, or hate him. Um, yeah, I'll take that any day of the week, right? Yeah, Boslerman is a perfect kind of person to bring up who, you know, in a much different way um, has their very distinct style that's a little bit, it's very in your face, much like Anderson is, in, but in a different way, right? And that Boslerman, for me and you, I think for me, there are a couple moments from, uh, from Boslerman that I don't mind, and I appreciate him unabashedly being him so even if right. it doesn't work for me like same i'm not a fan of his movies but I, uh, I i can understand why people like his films and i'm glad he's making the movies he wants to make and he's more aggressive than wes anderson is but wes anderson is still passive aggressive with you know his sure. filmmaking <laughs> that's and his a great aesthetic. way to describe yeah because yeah. i think i think he's like they're like I think the Baz Lerman, versions of each yeah baz lerman like- is trying to like literally like punch you in the face while you're watching the movie where Wes Anderson's like every once in a while, you know, giving you a left hook. Um, and so when you're, when you're watching, you know, anybody that has a true vision, it's, it's just fascinating to think about like, okay, well, why do those movies work so well? And then when people try to imitate or copy them, whether it be an AI generated trailer or another filmmaker, try, I mean, it was the same thing with Tarantino where after Pulp Fiction, you had a bunch of filmmakers who were coming out of film school trying to emulate and remake or capture lightning in a bottle the way Tarantino did. But just because you can, you know, take the lyrics and write them, you know, the way that you think they work, it doesn't mean that you're going to conduct them the same way. It's 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 the individual that makes the piece work as a whole. And obviously they need the collaboration of everybody else to make it work and come together. But there is a reason why Wes Anderson movies are the way they are and not simply just like someone can recreate them the way that, you know, an AI vision has 
done, so to speak. And it's just, yeah, it's just weird with that stuff. But but going back to his, this film, I think it is one of his best movies. And I think it's just one of his most I think fun. so. I, yeah, I agree. I'm going to give the movie a four and a half. I, like, I really, really liked it. Um, like, Grand Budapest is that five-star movie for me. I love Isle of Dogs. I love Fantastic Mr. Fox. But this is right up there with those movies. And he is a guy for me that keeps making better and better stuff because I like him leaning into his aesthetic and unabashedly being like, this is me. These are the types of movies you're going to get. And no other person is making them uh, like that. So I'm going to give the movie a four and a half. I'm also giving it a four and a half out of five. And I just think it's, it's a fun movie and it's a perfect summer film in a, in a lot of ways. Like, it's just like, it, it it's, it, it kind of has that, even though it's pastel and colorful and cool looking, it still has the heat. It still has mm-hmm. kind of the, the artifice of a summer blockbuster, you know, like it's just funny. Never scene. overstays its welcome. Either. No, it doesn't. It's short. Like it, it, yeah, it doesn't. Very it, short, actually. Yeah. Um, but it's just fascinating seeing like a sci-fi movie through the eyes of a Wes Anderson, you know, and, and like thinking to yourself, okay, well, what other filmmakers could tackle a certain genre and do it their way that you would like to see in their, their interpretation of it. It's if you talk about those other auteurs we've talked about, right. We've always go, what would a Tarantino kids movie look like or comedy, right? Like, or yeah. I guess his movies have comedy, right. But like, yeah, you take those different filmmakers and go, they've done one thing a lot. Right. But like if they did something, not that sci-fi is completely different, but just something that they haven't tackled yet. And I think, seeing that here he definitely did it in the most wes anderson way which i think is is awesome like that again i'll have one moment of the alien coming out will, <laughs> will be i think it's something I, I will definitely remember by the end of the year right so yeah it's just, and uh, one of the best uses great. of like uh, like special effects in a film we talk a lot about vfx and how it, it takes you out of the movie um because it's just not realistic looking where this isn't realistic looking, but it still works because it's just, it's, it's from another time. Like that animation style is so removed from what we're used to nowadays that it feels charming and refreshing, bringing it back. And so with that, I think it adds this other layer of, of being memorable because again, like you watch all this CGI sludge that we've seen i mean when we were talking about transformers rise of the beast like there's nothing in that movie that particularly stands out you know i i I think last year we got a little bit of 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 sort of an again another sci-fi alien movie with nope like jordan peele and wes anderson are guys that take uh, this would be a great double feature dude yeah they're taking the genre but subverting it in their own weird ways and they're adding texture to the production design, the way that Jean Jacket is memorable and will, I think, continue to be memorable in the years to come and how we look at an alien spacecraft or if it is an alien spacecraft, it might just be the alien itself. And then with this, the way that we see the alien, like it's just it's it's something that you will remember where most blockbusters playing in sci fi or horror or action. After a while, you just become numb to it. Yeah. Totally agree. Uh, thank you all for listening or watching. We really, really do appreciate it. Uh, we're back in full force. Uh, we have reviews for movies like Transformers Rise of the Beasts, uh, like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, like, what else have we done? Eric, I'm blanking already. Didn't we just record well, something before? We this? did Transformers uh, Rise of the Beast. We have... Uh, Elemental. Uh, w- Elemental. That's a, yeah, that's the one <laughs> so memorable, Elemental. Elemental. <laughs> 
yeah. So all of that stuff should be available for you guys to listen to right now. And then we'll also maybe have the flash. It's a big week for us. Uh, so there's, there's a ton of stuff past lives maybe as well. We might spread all this stuff out a little bit, but that should, yeah, it's, up, it's uh, some of this is coming out in limited release like asteroid yeah. city. So it, you know, if it's It'll not out, if, if it's yeah. not in your city, uh, the first week of a release, don't worry because it does take some time for these smaller films to make their way over. Um, and other than that, uh, as always, my name is Matt Rober. Oh, letterbox is what I keep forgetting to plug. Ah, damn it. I know it's, well, we've been rusty. I've left out the letterbox uh, section of most of these reviews. Yeah. Go over to our letterbox, which is untitled underscore movies. You can get all of those aforementioned, uh, reviews as well as all of our episodes and ratings and different things like that, uh, over on untitled underscore movies on letterbox. But then as always, you can, uh, follow all of my work around the internet, family feud, Canada, um, untitled moviepodcast.com and all of my nonsense over on Twitter at Matt Rohrbeck. And you can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinema scene and on all the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. Meet me. Meep.